0: Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners to prepare for exit so that you can maximize value and exit on your own terms. This is the Exit Insights Podcast presented by Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates-Brownsort and today I'm talking to Beate Shillette and she's known as a growth architect. Hey, welcome and thanks for joining us today, Beate.
1: Thank you for having me, Daryl. I was looking forward to this. Uh, good
0: stuff. Well, look, I know you've got a lot of experience and and uh we we when we had a bit of a preparation conversation, I know we we aim for about thirty minutes in our conversations, but uh, I know we could go for days just tapping to everything that you 've learned along the way so Beata, I wonder if you can just set the scene for us you 've exited your business, I think mean, you sold it had a a massive win, and i won 't uh, spoil that but um why don't you give us a little bit of background about your experience and because i what I really want to tap into is is all of your uh, learnings along the way, what you do different, all those things for, for the business owners that we're talking to and that are listening to this podcast that really are starting to think about it at the beginning of their journey now. And uh, they're starting to think about, hey, look, I want to exit my business one day. How do I get it into tip-top shape? What can I do to make sure I do get an exit on my terms? So if you can just frame us up there and uh, we'll get into yeah. it.
1: Yeah, happy to to do that. So the idea of exiting a business is really a decision that you make at some point, because the, I think the misconception is that people do the fingers crossed and hoping that, you, you know, maybe there's some value and then maybe somebody at some point will come in and somehow find interest in something. That's just not the way this works at all. So when you, when you set out to have your business acquired, have a, have an, event a cash event an exit you need to set up your business completely different from the get-go because you have to make a a choice if you want an exit and people to pay you good money you're probably going to have to pay taxes because you're going to have to show a profit so you cannot for example go and say i'm going to hide all my profits and then believe that your valuation is going to be excellent so that's a decision that you have to make so that's really the first thing i want to say Uh, To your audience, Daryl, is that there is a series of micro and macro decisions that are made when you set up your business. You know, it's the structure, it is the operational structure, it is making yourself obsolete as quickly as you can, setting it up in such a way that there is clearly defined divisions, you know, portions, departments, or actions that have standard operational procedures that are handled by one specific person so that. It is clear when somebody wants to buy your business that they can see how it would be integrated immediately into their operations. So that's what we did. So we went, we had a stock photography syndication, and we were specialized in architecture and interior photography. And as a side side business, basically, which I had not thought about when I started it, were celebrity homes. When we went, we went after the A-list in the in the market. The A-listers are just as difficult or as easy to go after as the B or the C. So you always go after A. When you have A, B, and C automatically comes. And we had then not recognized at the point that the A-list photographers would work with A-list architects, A-list interior designers who, of course, actually did work with the A-list. You know, Julian Moore, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, Simon Baker, Seal. I mean, big, 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 big names. And so suddenly we became all these home stories. So we looked at the business and we said, what are the different aspects of the revenue streams that we can create? So in order to have an exit, that's the other area you need to look at. You need to look at it's like how many vertical, vertical uh, pieces can I put together that are clearly defined so a potential buyer can go and say, I'm going to take this and put it over here. I'm going to take this and put this over there. So when the buyer came, which was the second largest stock image distribution in the world owned by no other than Bill Gates himself, they looked at these. At that time, we had three very distinct collections, how we called them. And the one collection fit into their celebrity division. The other collection fit into their a lower end market division. And then the regular collection fit into their high end targeted targeted uh, a piece of the business so when they looked at us they saw these three pieces that they immediately knew how to take apart and plug plug it in into the different into the different pieces and the way I had set it up Daryl was that each piece had operational procedures operational manuals and had people that were responsible for a very particular thing so when they acquired us they acquired us with the people then they, of course, learned everything. They laid everybody off after after a particular a period of time. Unfortunately, because that, you know, six months after I sold, the entire industry imploded, but my exit was timed well. And that's really what I would say from the get-go. Make sure your business model is clean. Make sure you're clear what you're trying to sell. Make sure that these things are absolutely spectacularly outlined and defined and then make sure you run it. So it looks like you actually run it a profitable business.
0: Yeah. So a couple of things, there's a few things I I, I heard there. So one of them was, have a clear product strategy, know exactly what you're selling. And, and what I heard is, is almost modular and, and, you know, uh, you know, planned and structured. So I, I had a lot of, you know, deliberate actions on how you did certain things, like you know, all of your operations systemized, structured. Um and then another piece I heard was, hey, look, you know, there's a lot of smaller businesses at the smaller end. And you know, they go to their accountant when they start the business and go, hey, look, I need to run this business, you know, structure it so I pay as little tax as possible. And at some point, you know, and they start to consciously think about exiting their business, they forget to go back to their accountant and go, hey, look, I'm, I'm on the tail end now. I'm thinking about, you know, preparing for exit. You know, what do I have to change? And if they don't let their accountant know that, hey, look, let's restructure this, let's, let's build asset value rather than just a, a tidy income stream for my, to, for my, to maximize my income stream, then they won't maximize the value of the business. So, there's a couple of things the business model, um, systems, people strategy as well. So, how, how you know, who's doing what um, and when rather than, I guess, crossover. There's so many businesses I see, you know, it, it grows on, you know, well, we've got Beata doing this, we've got Daryl doing this, we've got John doing that. And it's a business all about who's doing what. And, uh, you know, we need to structure the business and go, instead of who's doing what, let's talk about what needs to happen first and then assign it to someone. So that way we can identify that everything needs to happen and nothing slips through the net. And it sounds like you are all over that. Yeah, yes, I
1: think, yes, I think, what yes. The you're, What you're describing is the de- deliberate structure to say, yeah. you know, and it's almost like you have to take yourself out of your business and look at it from the outside and say, what will make this attractive to somebody? Why would somebody yep. want this? What is it about this where where someone will say, "I I need this," because you can't hope that somebody's just gonna see the value in you and magically show up. You know, there's websites out there where you can put your business for sale. I was actually spending on Friday uh, some time on this, and I looked at some of these businesses, and I was in. It was interesting to me. Like like there was one business was was, was a cafe. And the owner, uh, and it was in a in a in a division where there were a lot of businesses and the owner was only selling it for I think like I think thirty thousand dollars. But the owner went, you know, in the description and said, Well, I developed all the recipes, so I'll teach you all the recipes. And I'm thinking to myself, see, this is the biggest mistake on why his valuation is so low. Because he actually believes that somebody's coming in and wants to take over what he has created. That is yeah. typically not what happens. Somebody wants to buy it because they see the potential that it has. And then they want to take what you have done and build on it. So if you go in and you say, Well, I'm so great, I'm so amazing. Then you take every incentive to buy the business out because they need to feel that they discovered the pearl in the oyster, the opportunity of a lifetime and go, oh, so easy if I have this restaurant. And so I, I contacted a client of mine who is in the restaurant consulting business. And I said, I think here's an untapped opportunity. And she says, OMG. She says, this is unbelievable. I can't, you know, I'm going to have to look at these numbers. This seems to be too good to be true. But I think that that is one of uh, a very good example on how an owner is in their own way because of their attachment to their own way of doing things. And when you want to sell your business, you need to be very clear that somebody is going to buy it because they go, that was cute what they did, but they don't even see the real potential here. So there's a part of uh, your your ego that you have to also keep in check because unless they feel that they're not going to buy you. They don't want to buy what you created. They want to buy what you created and built on it.
0: It sounds like you've just uh, got the McDonald's story and and just retold it because uh, I watched uh, uh, the doco on Netflix recently. Yeah, so good. It's it's exactly that story, like the McDonald's brothers, you they they'd systemize everything they'd they'd built something but they didn't know how to scale it um so yeah so for this cafe for thirty thousand dollars it sounds like the owners selling their job here come and buy my job from me for thirty thousand dollars and i'll teach you how to get in the kitchen and and work your tail off for all week as well and uh you too can have this lifestyle where you're you're working uh you know big hours and uh, making a little money
1: Yes, I was uh, uh but it, but it is as you said it's a really great example when you sell your business you have to be clear that there 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 is this part where what you have created is is not is is not as important to them it's only important to you and yes. that part then when you see what they do with it they're they're that's why owners generally don't last if they're being offered jobs After the integration, because what the vision of what the business that purchased your business is absolutely not your vision for your business. Otherwise, they wouldn't have bought it.
0: Well, and you're touching on a really important thing there, like who buys businesses? It's not someone smaller than you. If someone's going to buy your business, chances are that most times they're twice your size or at least your size. So then, then they can double the size of their existing business. They're the ones who have got, you know, often got cash and can afford and, and they're seeing the opportunity. So unless you get help to prepare your business, you've got to prepare it for what the buyer's is looking for. Cause as you say, they're buying a commercial opportunity. They're not buying a job. Well, that's, that's what they're doing. If they're, if you're selling to a strategic buyer you, you, and you touched on something earlier that, um, you know, I think. I call it the hope strategy, but but a lot of business owners, you know, they, they're they building their business over a number of years exactly. And they just you, know, you you talk to them and they go, well I'll build this and I'll get big enough and one day someone will just come and offer me uh some money. And I hear them all the time saying it's always for sale if if you know someone comes and offers me a stupid amount of money. And I go, Okay, so what are you doing to put in place to increase your chances of them offering you a stupid amount of money? And they just look at me as if I'm stupid, like you know I'm bursting the bubble of their dream, and I go, "Well, if you don't do anything about it, it's not going to happen, is it? It's just that sit back and hope and uh yeah, and that's why eighty percent of businesses you know that go to market fail
1: well, I mean, I think you said something super important, and i i want I would like to give some examples if that's okay so
0: when Leaps. we
1: when we got ready and we felt that there was an opening in the market, and we knew that I had a feeling that there would be a window, but it would be a very small window. And we saw that there were market changes. So we created another collection. And we we knew that the high-end market, because photography was becoming more and more commodity, which, you know, I was absolutely correct about that we would not be able to demand our high ticket fees. Celebrity homes, of course, you can demand high ticket fees because you know there's only so much access to, you have to Madonna's house. So you have that, that's a, that's a high ticket item. But the regular items, the stuff that uh, your real estate company uses, the bank uses when you go in and says you want to refinance your home and there's this image of the the, the house behind you. We supplied these kinds of images. We supplied to Ikea this very famous image of the bicycle that's leaning in Amsterdam on the canal that sold, I think, over 5 million times worldwide. That was our image. So when you look on the poster, in case any of your listeners has it, you see it in the credit, Beata Works, that was my company. So verifiably, maybe in your living room. And then we decided that we had to take a new collection that we had to launch, which was a higher volume, but a lower price collection. And we did that for two reasons. In order to keep the high collection high, we had to be very discriminatory what we allowed into this high-end collection. That meant there were a lot of images we couldn't take because they didn't fit in that. So then we would effectively give that to somebody else. So we did not want to do that. We wanted to keep these images within our own but we couldn't sell it over here. So we created this collection. Then a couple of things happened. As we gave this to our team, we ran the numbers and we knew that our revenue would suffer as a result of it because we had to take resources and put them on building this collection with our team. So when the revenue dropped, of course, I was freaking out. You know, the world came to an end. I mean, the um, the classic fears that you have, but it was exactly what we had predicted it would be. We came out with this collection with a big bang because I had made a deliberate decision to say I was going to make everybody notice who we were. I wanted everybody to know that we were a serious player entering the market on all firing all, on all fronts. We sponsored an industry event, we had a party we invited everybody. The collection was amazing the the visuals were amazing and this is what made people notice us with them noticing us that's when i put the word out that it was up for acquisition
0: okay so you 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 made sure that the business had a reputation and and you i guess you capitalized when it was at that peak and everyone was talking about you and noticed so the question I've got is Beata is, is how long was that in the planning? How long before you at your exit were you thinking about, hey, look, I've got to get this ready, I've got to, I've got to build this up, I've got to build to a peak um, so that I can take advantage of that?
1: I actually had planned to sell this business regardless, because the business before that I had was also in photography. I was a photographer agent, a producer for still photography. And the problem with that was, is I lost the production business in September 11th and literally one day. So after that, nobody would ever go on a plane again and fly to Los Angeles for years and years and years to come. It was unrecoverably gone. I had a lawsuit from a former employee in the photography representation business that got too close to a key vendor. And then they had this idea to run a business, but that was basically my business just without me. And as I had experienced this incredible hardship and these financial, massive financial losses, I had to figure out what was I going to do so this would never happen to me again. And I said, this next business that I'm going to do is going to be an equity business and I will make sure that this time I am going to be, be the one laughing at the end. So I had set it up from the get-go as an as a potential to be a business that i wanted to sell and i set it up so it would make money why i wasn't there we would you know get a story in let's say madonna's house came in i put it on the ticker i sent it out to our distribution network that i had built we had 79 countries in the world that sold our images i put it out i said madonna's home stories in i went home i went to sleep i got up i had 30 orders in in the morning and then all i had to do is go to the publicist which was tricky because publicists are not nice people, and um, and then get approved what we could get approved, and then literally in one day I had made what thirty to sixty thousand dollars in revenue just from one story that I sold.
0: Okay, so so that's an interesting um, view. You you had a, a previous business where it basically evaporated from under you because people not behaving as we'd always like them to. Conscious mindset that that's not going to happen to me again. Next time around, I'm going to build, and I like your word, I'm going to build an equity business. So, so something that's I'm creating value from nothing effectively. What were some of the things you, that were going through your mind? What were some of the things, Beata, that you thought, this is what I will do differently? Was there a list of things or how, how were you going, this time I will create equity where there was none before?
1: Yes, that's actually a good question. I don't think anybody ever asked me that. Like, what was your mindset? Was it, um, I'm trying to think, was it pure anger? Or was it was it the desire that at the end of the day, the joke couldn't be on me? That really was my, one of my big thoughts Is is I had thought that in all of this, I was a single parent. I'm an immigrant from Germany living in Los Angeles. Had to, you know, my ex-husband is just a disaster. So I had to figure out how to do so much on my own. There was really a point where I couldn't imagine. That was one of my guiding thoughts, interestingly, interestingly enough, that I said, at the end of the day, the joke cannot be on me. I mean, it just, wasn't, it just wasn't feasible for me. I couldn't fathom the thought that at the end of all of this, it would be, nah, 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 nah. I mean, I, I just couldn't imagine that. And so I just kept going and going and going and going. And so the mindset is, and this really goes, and I know you talk about this a lot, Daryl, is the conscious mindset is people don't understand that you have to make an actual decision. The decision is, I am going to be a million dollar business. I am building a business that I am selling. It is not like a... Well, let's see how it goes. And then, you know, hopefully we'll end up around a million. And then let's, you know, let's see. Maybe somebody's gonna come and and buy the business. That's not a decision, that's a hope strategy. The difference is in mindset. And that's why any of your listeners who's ever listened to any mindset stuff will know that everybody tells you the same. It has to be an image that is clear in your mind because without that, you do not know where you're going. The idea, like imagine if I were to, let's say, Daryl, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be in your, your neck of the woods and I said, Daryl, I'll pick you up, be going on a trip. What's the first thing you're going to say to me?
0: <laughs> what time? <laughs> where? I'd, I'd be looking for the details if I'm understanding your question.
1: Exactly. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go, no problem, and then not ask me another question. You say, where are we going? What's the weather like? How long is the trip? How long are we g- going to stay? You need to know all, the thing, all these things because you're packing. You have to tell your family. You have to you make sure this fits in your schedule. There's so many things that you have to do as a result of it. And people, when they run a business, they forget that. They go, well... I'm I'm going to go I'm going to open my emails and then I'm going to see what has happened in the business and I'm going to respond to that and that's my business strategy. That's not a yeah. strategy.
0: Well, it you're reminding me of, of um you've know, worked with uh, business owners myself a, a number of years and and the amount of entrepreneurs that don't have business plans is is it's just frightening. And and if you ask about their business plan, their strategy, I go, look, can you share it with me? And they go, look, I've got a plan. And I go, great, well, share it with me. And they go, well, it's in my head. It's not written down. And I go, okay, so what's your your plan? Well, we're going to grow the business. How? Oh, I haven't got that far. I go, well, of course you haven't got that far because you haven't written it down. You're just doing more of the same year in, year out and hope that everything turns out okay. And, And the best... Focused entrepreneurs that I've, that I've met uh, are the ones that do have a mindset. You know, they're, they're stubborn. They, they do have a vision. They're, they, they, they've got a, a degree of optimism about them. You know, when someone says you can't, you know, they can't do this and they're kind of gone, well. Yeah, hold my beer, type of thing. I'm I'm going to go and do it and make <laughs> exactly. it happen.
1: Who are you to tell me what I can and cannot do?
0: <laughs> exactly, and then they the 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 really sharp ones surround themselves with all those detail people, and and they go, we're going here, and they the detail people go, well, let's let's put a plan together, and they go, yeah, okay, and and they they're cleaning up the mess behind them because they're just blazing trails. But they've got a vision of where they're going, and they're figuring out how they're going to get to along the way. But they know where they're going, and they've got that drive and that ambition, and and you know they just don't hear no. Uh, so, so you you had this mindset. It was a bit of hey, I I'm not gonna I've got to learn from my past, right? So I'm I'm not gonna let that happen again. And the joke won't be on me. Yep, I've learned my lesson. I don't want to do that again. So, Beata. Were there there some conscious choices around what you were deliberately doing different about the way you ran the business? You know, did you say, yeah, well, I, I need a product strategy. So what is a product strategy compared to what I was doing before? I, you know, we, we, we're all familiar with systems and operations and, but we need to get to a certain size before and a number of people in our business before we have to systemize it. But, you know, running the business, what were you doing differently?
1: A lot about it was that I recognized that I needed to think about that there are people like me should run the business. So it's a strategy that I see a lot that business owners do mini me cloning. So yeah. mini me mini me cloning means you think you're so good at so many different things and you're capable of doing you know, the website stuff, and you're good enough to write your your blog posts, and then you do your videos and you make your sales calls and you you go like, Well, if I only had 10 people just like me, this thing would be amazing. And that is ridiculous because the whole point is that you are gonna have to learn at some point what you're good at, and then let other people who are better. Take over certain parts in yeah. the beginning, I was scanning photos myself. I was entering all the data myself, and in the end, I had you know outsourced all of this to India that was before we had all these opportunities to to scan or everything was digital. so it was just that when everything went digital, and so we we would we would ship stuff to India to be drum scanned. So I looked very quickly, what had shifted, I had looked very quickly to say, it is better to build this up the right way so that there's a process in place that doesn't involve me as much. And I focused on the things that I was good at. And that's, I think, in the beginning, really the challenge for a lot of businesses, Daryl, where you don't have the cash to do that. I certainly didn't have the cash. So that's how I went $135,000 in debt because i needed to, the money i needed the funds to create these pieces so i could i could make this happen and that was a very 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 stressful time but i did that because i knew that the own people people would buy my idea but not me executing it because they knew after an acquisition i probably wouldn't be around for much longer so they needed yeah. to have people that had a job that they could pay money, that they could pay money to stay with a company to help them integrate, integrate this. So the, the way you run it or the way you build it is completely different than if you are working from home and you, you're doing all these things. I had an office, I had job descriptions, I had people yeah. that I had handovers, I had processes you know, things would go from here to here to here. We had naming conventions. We had standard operational procedures. I had a yep. controller who ran the numbers all the time. And she, there's this this one story where my life really changed with Sharona. One day she came into my office and she locked the door, Daryl, and she threw this like report on my desk and she crossed her arms and I could tell, you know, she was about to tell me something very serious. And and I said, what is it, Sharona? And she wouldn't say a word. So I took the report. My eyes got this big. And I said, are you kidding me? And she says, I've been trying to tell you this. And what was it? She told me that our celebrity at home stories far outsold anything else that we did. I really didn't want to do the celebrity at home stories because I really didn't like dealing with the publicists. But it's what made us the money. and so. I had to bite the bullet and say, well, if that's where we make the money, if that's how we generate the cash, then we need to put a lot more energy and effort into this division. And that's what changed the business. So this is the other aspect of it. What you like to do may not be the big moneymaker.
0: That's a really good point because not everyone's like you, are they? Like your clients, your customers, your staff. So, and, and you know, monitoring, keeping your finger on the pulse and monitoring, you know, where the money's going and, and where the activity is in the business is, is the next, you know, the big important piece. Um, and, you know, doing that 80-20 rule, you know, the, the a lot of people say, Hey, look, 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of the clients did that exercise once with a, with a business and it turned out to be 95-5. And so I said, well, you've now got a choice, guys. Like 95% of your revenue is coming from 5% of your clients. What are you going to do about that? And so they just totally, you know, because the the business was positioned and brand for that, you know, 95% of clients. So they just said, right, well, we've got to rebrand. We've got to position our business. We'll relocate. We'll we'll do all of our branding and match that 5% of the clients where 95% of the revenue is coming from. And they literally dumped the rest they sold it off and hived it off, um, but they all of a sudden, so no, now the 95% of revenue is 100% of the revenue, and that grew because everything about their business was lined up and joined up, and uh, it looked and felt to be as one. So uh, getting your finger on the numbers and, and being really clear of what's happening, that that's a really important point. Thanks for, for sharing Yeah, that.
1: somebody called it a phantom avatar, and I love the way to put it. I love the way He's he's put it, he says, Well, if you have a phantom avatar that you're selling to, you you're probably not gonna do well because a phantom avatar is a person that you think is behaving a particular way. It's just that this person doesn't exist. And that probably would be one of the big things I would tell your audience today, more than anything. I am seeing such a seismic shift in the market and in the mindsets of people. We see Gen Z, you know, really pushing hard for changes in the business structure and how business is done, how they want to work, what they are expecting, that if you have not done this exercise now, we call this the airtight avatar, and looked into what is actually going on in the head of your buyer, and are you even still targeting to the right buyer, then you are missing, you're missing probably a lot of revenue because right now in this market with all these whiplash changes of this way no that way that way you're laid off just kidding you're hired just kidding people want to stick it to the man the trust factor and safety factor toward corporations and employers is at an all-time low they all want to go do out, do their thing on their own they want to be appreciated heard and seen if you are not making changes to your business to adjust on how you sell to cater to this changing mindset, you're really missing out massive opportunities in the market. And that is a high probability you're doing a phantom avatar. I hired, and just to make this really real, so I hired someone that I wanted to be my appointment setter. And we found out that our lead generation really wasn't doing what we thought it would do. Because when you hire someone and they really look under the hood, you have exposure to what's really going on. And then we found that the traffic we got, the stuff that we did, a lot of it had to do with things that we're not even doing anymore. And so there was so much friction in the business. So what we had to end up doing is when we designed the avatar of who we are selling to now, we had to take everything down. And there is a separation anxiety, believe it or not, from me, as I'm, you know, I, I'm shutting down 450 pages of blog posts that, you know, cost me time, money, and effort that we get traffic on, but it's all the wrong traffic. It's confusion in the market. So sometimes, you know, my friend Krista Grasso calls it reduce unnecessary complexity, and I think that's where we are at right now. Where you have to take all the complexity out, take it down to the simplest, simplest thing you can possibly take it down to make sure it's clear, make sure your avatar is clear, make sure what you're selling and what the solution promises is clear. Everybody needs to be doing this right now. Yeah, and, and,
0: and getting really tight on what that clarity is, is what I'm hearing as well, because a lot of people think, well, I just, I'll just i do everything for everyone. I, you know, I've got the skills, I can, I can look after everyone. And, and when, when you're trying to you know, sell to everyone, your message isn't clear. Like people go, what is it exactly you do? Who, who, who is it you're good for? Whereas what I'm hearing from you is is get your message really tight and sharp, um, you know, to to fit the, your avatar, and uh, and and that'll that'll bring the success as well.
1: Well, you mentioned something that I think that there is a way to circumvent that. So that's really our specialty. That's what we do when we work with business owners that have multiple things that they do that seemingly feel disjointed. Now. There right. is a way to do that. We call this a signature growth system where we take all the different things and we build the umbrella over it. So we are we are the business growth architects. So it's the growth architect. Under growth architecture, we deal with the actually building the systems, the strategy and building your authority because these three things are required to for growth architecture. So instead of saying I'm a strategist or I'm a system builder or I'm an authority expert, We take in these three things and we created a client transformation journey that has multiple steps to it under the five star success blueprint. So now you can do that, but you need to have a system over it. So then you can say we have a proprietary method, a proprietary system. When people come to us, we take them on a journey from here to here. There are multiple entry points. Each one of these pieces is clearly defined. The first thing that we do is we help you figure out where on the journey you are, which is for many business owners, a miracle that somebody can tell them where in the journey they are and what they're missing. Then it works, but Mm -hmm. it does not work if you say, I'm a speaker and I'm an author and I'm an executive leadership coach and I'm a facilitator. That does not work. Then you need to have this umbrella and you say, under this umbrella, we are delivering The message here, like this, the message here, like this. This is the mastermind, this is the group program, this is our continuity program, this is our authority building piece. Then it works, but any other way, it just does not work.
0: Okay, so so we're coming back to structure, aren't we? If you've got an organized structure and it all fits together you're like a jigsaw piece, then you can make it work because then you can build the messaging around it and this is what you're doing now you you sold the business and now you're helping other people go how do i achieve how do I replicate what you put together, Biata, uh, and and what I heard is is you you talked earlier about naming and having naming conventions for your products and your processes. That comes out in your the way you you help clients now, is that you've got structure and process and naming conventions in in your methodologies in how you're helping clients today.
1: Yes. So I, I work as a as a business strategist, as a growth architect. I work with a lot of visionaries, thought leaders that want to grow their authority and scale their impact. And we are purposely impact-driven because we measure our impact by how much impact we make other people make. And these processes, and just to demonstrate on how a proper method works. So we've done this for giants like Amazon, where we facilitated... Um, bringing people together and taking all these thousands of ideas that were in a particular division and help them organize it and come up with a three year plan. So it works here. We've taken, we've taken small businesses and we've set up growth strategies for them, helping them launch, helping them, you know, take all these pieces and organizing them. So when you have a clearly defined method, the method is applicable to different types of businesses. So that really works, and so my 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 greatest joy really is when you know we built this system for a digital marketer, and his name is Emmanuel Ellier. And then he says, "Well, what should I call my system? What should I call my system?" I said, "Well, your name is Ellier. That already sounds like a really cool uh cool thing. Like you know, I want to ask, what's an Ellier system? I mean, it happens to be his last name." He's made over, he's generated over, I think, 25 million for his clients in three years by just being able to take the system and explain to clients in the digital marketing space. When you come to us, step one, two, three, four, five. And, you know, and the success speaks for itself. So that's what I do. I help people to figure out what are the pieces, assemble the pieces, create the product and services that go behind that piece. And we do this in eight weeks.
0: Yeah. So people are buying the system, they're buying the process rather than buying your time, um, which is how you build equity.
1: You do. Yes. And then obviously, you know, behind the scenes. So just so we talk about to your audience specifically, like what's the plan here? Well, the plan is ultimately I want to turn this into a SaaS product because I do believe that this ability that I have to listen to what people are doing and then assemble it into a cohesive picture. I mean, people oftentimes when they're in the program start making sales because they finally know how to articulate what what it actually is that they're doing. So I'm always thinking about how do I take this and how do I then build it out and bring it to a larger audience and help more people to be successful. That's brilliant. And that's all part of the journey. That's all part of the journey.
0: Beata, look, you've shared a, a wealth of experience that you, know, you you've accumulated over a lifetime, and 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 we've we've skimmed over the top of that. I'm just wondering, what's the key message you would love uh, listeners to take away from our conversation today?
1: Well, aside from that, they need to go where they're listening to this podcast, give you a five star review, and leave a comment and share this episode with one other person that needs to hear what we were talking about today. Uh, The most important message is actually twofold. So number one, you got to build your system. If you do not have a clear system, you can't explain it. You can't sell it. You don't know exactly what it does. That is absolutely critical. And number two, do not take failure personal. Failure is like you forgetting to update your GPS. And then one day there's a dead end because they're finally building that freeway. You didn't update your GPS. Are you getting out of the car? Are you throwing yourself on the ground? Are you throwing a temper tantrum? Are you going to say things like, I'll never drive again? I'm the, I'm the stupidest driver in the whole world. That's it. I'm done with it. I'm going to sell my car. There's just no use to me ever driving again. You're not going to do that. You're just going to, you know, you're going to go shrug your shoulders. and say, ah, I should have updated the GPS because you know your destination is still there. So you exactly. wave at the guy, you take another way. So when you hit, that failure or the perceived failure, I want you to always envision from here on out, man or woman in a hard hat with a neon vest and that stripe, the reflective stripe with a big stop sign, just reminding you, this is not the way to go. And then you wave, just wave, keep on driving.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. I love that. Beata, thanks for sharing your, your insights with us today. I think uh, that's an excellent uh, message that you've shared. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Daryl.